Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz saxophonist, clarinetist, and composer Quentin Natchoff. Originally from Toronto, Canada, he grew up digging jazz in the albums of Eric Dolphy. It was in his parents' collection of albums, and both of them were musicians. He's currently promoting his newest 2016 album called Flux. He is also a teacher and uses his experience getting his bachelor's and master's degree in music performance from the University of Toronto as his backbone. He's traveled all over the world, in Canada, the United States, Europe, Japan, China, Australia, South Korea, and New Zealand, and it all only adds to his musical voice. He's very, very cool, and he knows what he's talking about, so get to know him. Yeah, nice. How you doing? I'm wonderful. How are you, sir? Doing well. Hey, thanks for taking a little time out for me today. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Let me go ahead and start off here. I know that uh, your new album, Flux, is out, but give me an idea in your own words. What's going on in your world with uh, music activity? <laughs> ah, a, nice, a nice, very specific question to start. Um, <laughs> well, a lot of different things. I, I guess I should talk about the new record. I juggle a lot of different things. So I'm, on the one hand, a saxophone player, so I'm sideman, do a bunch of sideman work here in Brooklyn, New York, and play a bunch of different people with ensembles. I lead my own groups, and I'm also doing a lot of composition work. So writing for my own groups, but also commissions for small classical ensembles or larger ensembles. Like coming up next year, I'm doing a really nice project with a chamber group in Vancouver, and we're going to premiere it at the uh, Vancouver Jazz Festival, the Turning Point Ensemble. So a lot of different interests, and try to keep out of trouble doing them all. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Well, Talk about flux. I mean, I could just tell by the artwork on this new album that there's a lot of flux going on here. So give me an idea about what went into this album. Kind of take me into the studio and how you feel about it. This project was a, well, three of the musicians that I was really excited to put together and that I've worked with in, or a couple of them I've worked with in different settings. And then uh, one of them I just cold called because I love this playing. Dave Binney, I'd worked with as a sideman uh, on a, I'm originally from Toronto, Canada, and um, so I worked with a colleague, friend of mine, Michael Herring, uh, did a couple of records, and he brought David up as the guest artist, and we did a couple of tours, and so we got to do a bunch of playing together and got to know each other and had a really nice uh, two-saxophone connection, and I'm a big fan of Dave's playing and writing as well, so I really uh, wanted to put that together in a group uh, for the pieces that I was thinking of putting together, and then... Matt Mitchell, yeah, just heard Matt uh, when he first was, just before he'd actually moved to New York, he was still living in Philly, and uh, heard him with Tim Burns' band, and then we got to do a little bit of playing after that, and he's just such a phenomenal reader, in addition to being an amazing improviser, and some of the music that I'm interested in writing is pretty composed, because that's another aspect of my you know, musical life. He just really dealt with really complex music in a really easily, but just not a problem for him. Plus, somebody that can improvise like that, too. So I knew that I wanted him to sort of form the sound of the project along with uh, Kenny. I heard Kenny play with uh, Ivan Opsvig's Overseas when I first moved back to New York uh, in about 2008 and uh, heard Ivan's band. And I mean, Ivan's band is an amazing band. The compositions are great. But the, uh, I just remember at that gig, I was just enamored with Kenny's hi-hat like there was something about just the feel that he's able to generate on the drums without doing anything I think he's just playing quarter notes on the thing and I'm just enamored the whole gig just like walked into that so I wanted to kind of put together this really organic thing that Kenny can do and you know 
like more like a and, and it's like to play with that it's really fun to play with too because you can just really get inside this really organic feel and you can do your thing on top of it and i kind of wanted to collide those two aspects of things that i'm interested in so a little more complex very written composed structures with this organic feel and sort of try to go back and forth or blend them or contrast them or juxtapose them or play around with it so that's kind of the concept for the for the band and the record the record was i think i wrote two original pieces with those specific musicians in mind and then i adapted some other pieces that i've written previously that that uh, i thought would really work well uh, that either hadn't been recorded or i thought would really work well with that group well it's a great album it is a really great listen let me get to the beginnings of your life in toronto canada talk to me about your childhood and how you got interested in jazz well, i got interested in music first because my uh, both my parents did were musicians and, and did electronic music in the late 60s, early 70s. My dad taught electronic music and recording engineering at Fanshawe College, which is outside Toronto, about an hour and a half or a couple hours, about two hours outside Toronto. So growing up, I was around a lot of you know, contemporary music and electronic music, 60s and 70s experimental kind of electronic music. But they also did commercial work. They did some stuff for Sesame Street and CBC, like, uh, public uh, radio broadcaster as well. So I was exposed to that really young. And then uh, when it came time to pick an instrument in school, we did recorder in grade four. My dad had a saxophone. So grade five, I started playing saxophone and carrying this tenor saxophone around. And then I met my first real teacher, Alex Dean, who's you know one of the you know, great saxophonist, great, amazing Canadian saxophone player. He started giving me records to listen to and just got really sucked into it at that point. But I don't, you know, I've always kind of been interested in both jazz and classical music because it's been, and I see a lot of, I don't see such a huge defined cut between it. I mean, yes, if you're playing classical repertoire or if you're playing like very specific jazz, historical jazz style, then yes, there are very big differences. But I think nowadays, there's so much more in common between them that I'm sort of interested in exploring that, those commonalities. So high school, yeah, I was practicing like a maniac, super into jazz and saxophone. And uh, my teacher got the teaching gig at University of Toronto, so I followed him there, did my undergrad there, started studying with a great piano teacher and uh, composition teacher, Frank Falco. So I, I was doing that while I was at university studying privately. Finished that, moved to New York for a couple of years, and then as a Canadian, it's really challenging to get uh, get your paperwork in order and visas and all of that. And I was here just before September 11th. September 11th happened, and then I was like, oh, maybe it's a good time to spend some more time back in Canada and just in order to get the, a green card or a uh, oh, what was called an extraordinary artist visa, you have to have a lot of press and have done some stuff. So I went back to Canada and I made some records and got some press and did some tours, and then did a master's degree started that in Montreal at McGill, and then got called after four months to go back to Toronto and teach at University of Toronto. So did that for a few years. And then 2008, I figured it was time to get back to New York because it's really, this is where I've always wanted to be. And the musicians that I really, that are some of the most inspiring musicians are here and colleagues that I want to play with. So uh, I made the choice to get myself back here to, to New York. Um, in 2008 and so just been slowly got my visa stuff in order so that's kind of where we are now right on so before we leave that bespeckled realm of childhood and youth <laughs> talk to yeah. me a little bit about what albums jazz specifically really blew you away when you were growing up that kind of got you interested in jazz 
Well, my parents had some as a kid, which I, I, I didn't remember listening to, but I went back and they had uh, some Eric Dolphy records. I think they had some uh, Ross and Roland Kirk. I'm trying to remember now. But I, I remember my teacher was really feeding. Like, I remember first, of course, the first tenor saxophone player, the first time that my teacher played some Coltrane for me. I was just like, oh, man, this is something else. <laughs> this is really out of this world and then sort of got super into that for a period. It was good. I, I did this when I was 17. I did this. Uh, Eastman had these summer workshops. And at that time I was still on the fence about whether I wanted to go like full on into music or I was really interested in computer programming and, and cognitive psychology and was sort of on the fence about which path to take. And I, when I did this workshop at Eastman, it was like a five week workshop. And I think there was an extra week if you, did an audition. You could get into this extra week, and I got to work with Bill Bobbins. It was amazing. Uh, Raymond Ricker was there, but they they really uh, opened my ears to like really checking out the history of the music too, like getting into like going back to Lester Young and Coleman Hawkins, and sort of hearing the lineage and the connection between it, and, and like checking out early early music like Zooty Singleton, and that opened that up, that whole thing. So I really started trying to listen to as much of the history as I could too. That changed sort of my playing style for a while. Had it, had an opportunity to do another couple of summer workshops where I got to work with Joe Lovano and just to hear like all the history and his sound when he plays is amazing. And that was super inspiring too. And the way you can really recolor the tonal palette all the time, continually changing the texture rather than the, you know, different saxophone school, which is like more just like beautiful tone all the time that was really inspiring too at a certain period and now it seems more yeah just a little bit more interested in ideas like checking out and checking out some microtonal fingerings and stuff like that just to try to incorporate that into into their concept so were you going to always follow your parents into music was that always your dream to be a musician no no i was really on the fence until i did this eastman workshop i was like because I'd, I'd done like a lot of computer programming and, and was reading, was really interested in, in, in psychology and, and how the brain works. And I just, uh, there's, after doing this workshop, I just seeing how all the musicians, I mean, how they, how they interacted with each other and just the amazing feel of working with other people is it wasn't quite so solitary sitting somewhere just programming <laughs> or just at the time anyway. So I followed that path and I, I don't I don't regret it at all. It's been an amazing experience to I do see some similar similarities though. It's interesting as a composer there's a lot of similar similarities to programming and, and spend a lot of time by yourself and sitting there programming or debugging things all the time because you made some little mistake that needs to be fixed. And in composing you're always adjusting and fixing things to try to get it to express what you really wanted to express or to make something work. Sometimes it's a puzzle. Sometimes it's a emotional thing. Sometimes it's a gesture. And I see similarities between them. Let me ask you this. You've got your educate, you got your bachelor or master's degree in music performance from the University of Toronto, and now you're a mm -hmm. teacher. How, how did those years of formal education influence the way that you were going to become a teacher? Well, just, I did. I was teaching at university in Toronto. I was teaching one of the one of the better, one of the top schools there and had some really great students. And at the same time, I was teaching one of the colleges where I had good students as well. Now in New York, uh, I teach, uh, I'm teaching younger kids. I'm teaching like clarinet classes and some private lessons. So the type of teaching is really different. I'd say 
the formal education really helped when you're teaching at a university level, teaching classes and that kind of thing. Like I'm teaching, I was teaching an improvisation class, which was nice. I got to structure it how I wanted. And just having some experience in the education system helps you know how to like structure a class and how to lead a class. At this point, uh, I mean, it's a different thing teaching teaching little kids. Uh, like for the first time, you know, I'm teaching them how to put the clarinet together and like make their first note. But it's kind of rewarding in its own way because every week the kids are super excited about music. The pace with which they improve is incredible. Like they go from not being able to put the instrument together to be able to play by the end of the year some, you know, a couple few pieces that actually sound pretty good. And you can work on like all the, all you lay the groundwork for all the elements if they do decide to go on in music or if they don't, then just good social skills like how to listen to each other, how to not interrupt each other, how to play together. You know, and then I try to give them little solo moments too if they've done their homework and they sound good. It's fascinating, and and also just my interest in how the brain works. You get to see, you get to see how they're, how they learn, how people learn. Teaching at the college level was really rewarding if you have really good students, which I luckily had some. And then you're teaching at a much more advanced level, but also the energy drain is a lot more because you're, you have to be super engaged all the time because you're, yeah, it's a trade-off. So now. At least I have a little more energy for writing my own music and practicing and focusing on some of those things. So let me ask you this. When you get on stage, what kind of conversation do you try to have with, with the other band members? What What is the ideal jazz conversation for you to have? Really depends on the setting, I think. I mean, there's some good, strong generalities. Like, depends if I'm a sideman or I'm a leader, too. If it's my, if it's my own project, then I try to lead by example and, and sort of set the tone for whatever the piece is and set the tone for how we're going to interact with each other. If I'm a sideman, then I'm trying to follow whoever's leading and, and, you know, fit into the context of what's happening as best I can. Like if I'm, if I'm playing in a larger ensemble, you try to blend in with everybody and get this really beautiful blended in tone, in tune sound when that's appropriate. You know, when it's time to take a solo, you try to make sure that your solo has some, or I try to make sure that I'm soloing that it has like some, sense in terms of the piece i try to think you know i'm lucky i'm getting to play with a lot of people that are composers and so they're thinking like that like they're writing rather than just getting up and blowing which is fun too i mean if i'm in a jam session or something then try to be as individual as i can and you know get through the tune in a way that i find interesting at personal depends on you on the setting but you know, try to try to play appropriately for whatever setting it is. Well, the one thing that I've noticed very clearly with you is that you've been all over the place. You know, Canada, the U.S., Europe, Japan, China, Australia, South Korea, New Zealand. Mm-hmm. What what does traveling do to enhance your musical voice? Well, you get to plug in and see what other people around the world are doing, which is really fun. I mean, uh, a lot of those places I would use local musicians, and so you get to hear local musicians interpreting music. And, and I've actually, it's so great i mean a lot of people that i've met they've come through new york or i've seen them again in other settings so yeah i really enjoy that i, I kind of toned down the, the international traveling a little bit because it's really exhausting <laughs> i mean it's really it's really tough to to, to do that and now if i want to get writing done and i want to focus on my projects i kind of i just sort of made a choice to not do so much international traveling unless it's like a really big project or something like that but uh, i really did enjoy it and Working with other musicians all over the place is really always fun and rewarding. You just, you're, everything you think about music is often challenged in different ways or you try to 
you're trying to you know try to teach each other different things and 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 see what what their life experience is like. Well, let me ask you this: you you've been awarded a lot of awards over your career. So let me ask you this: I mean, from you know the KM Hunter Music Award, the Chalmers Fellowship. There's been a lot of fellowships and awards and different things going on. What award did you get? Not your favorite or best one, but one that surprised you the most. Well, that KM Hunter one, I wasn't expecting. I mean, in Canada, it's uh, we're very lucky uh, that. There are those kinds of opportunities because I, I know it's much harder here in the states. It's much more competitive, and there's far fewer the type of that type of government type of funding. That was a I, I didn't apply for it. I'd applied for a different type of grant, a project grant or something, and it just got put into this pool. And it was in competition with all the different genres. So it was all the different genres of music. So it wasn't just jazz music. You're competing with classical musicians and, and opera writers. And I think the, the, the gentleman who won it the year before was an opera composer. Yeah, that was just a really nice surprise and a little extra money that I could funnel back into other projects. I mean, for me, that's what it's always about. If I happen to get some award or something or a, or a, a grant, it's it's always to just put it back into the music to... to do projects and get things out there and or it hopefully will open some doors to to getting the music out there that's, that's sort of the how i see it absolutely so you you mentioned some of the albums that were influential for you when you were growing up but more specifically who would you consider your jazz heroes well as i said i tried to listen broadly when i was younger i mean culture you know university coltrane was a huge influence. i mean i just I just loved, and then his, the whole history, his, his development and evolution as well, like you know, stuff like in the later period, friendship and, and that stuff. But then also how he how he navigated through bebop and played with bebop musicians and and, and his take on bebop and that kind of line playing. Really like Warren Marsh as well. My pian- Frank Falco, my piano teacher and composition teacher at that early time, really hit me into that and getting into Lee Konitz and. I love that Motion Trio record. One of my favorites was Lee and, and Elvin Jones and uh, recorded in Japan. Really different approach. Like after listening to so much Coltrane, Joe Henderson, like that, Sonny Rollins, like that, that edgy kind of New York thing, then to really get into something like Warren Marsh, which is like really different, subdued. It's all about the detail of the line and the content of the line. And that was really fascinating too. And just uh, trying to get in that, and then reconcile those two different things. Like, how can these two, you know, seemingly very different ways of approaching getting through core changes? How can I sort of take on and draw on that to assimilate it to something that that works for me? Joe, and then as I mentioned, Joe Lovano, like the way that he recolors the texture of the sound all the time, and like so much emotion in each line. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, for me, it's always like going forward and going backwards. It's always like I'll check out some guys that are doing stuff now and like really, you know, hear how they're doing it, and then going back through the history, like and going and trying to get more into detail in that. Like, uh, I'm just checking out some Clifford Brown stuff that I hadn't heard before and like trying to trying to sing along with some of those solos and just like really get into the way that he articulates and navigate through the changes. Let's let's go ahead and whittle the list down here. Let me ask you this. If you could get into a time machine and see any of these guys, who would you go see and where would you go? I, I'd love to hear Parker live. I mean, just to have, we have only, like, relatively speaking, a small amount of his non-studio session. So I think that would pretty, be pretty amazing to hear. Yeah, Lester, Coleman Hawkins, or 
Tom Baez, man, I would love to hear some of that stuff live and just the energy of in the time too, like just being where it was like there's just so much going on in a very short in a very close proximity. I mean, that would be pretty exciting. A friend of mine asked me that about a year ago or something, and I, I thought about it. I mean, I'd also love to try to hear Bach, like hear him improvising. I mean, we, we have him writing down his music, but I'm so curious to hear how the, his interpretation of it would be. I mean, we, we've only got everything like it's like a broken telephone. It's like coming to us like five, six, seven, eight steps later. <laughs> so yeah. It would be it'd be pretty amazing to hear that kind of improvising, you know. That 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 would be fascinating. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I I agree totally. Let me ask you this: Why do you love jazz? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that many reasons. I mean, I, there's I think the individual the individuality of it and how that really the freedom and the individuality of it that the the focus is on really trying to dig deep and come up with something personal and in an individual. And at the same time, how it, you know, it's about working together as well. Like you, whether it's a small group or a larger group, it's like, it's how these strong individuals manage to work together to come up with something unique as well. And in different settings, the context, that's a real connection I hear to like the broke, the broke composers as well. And and composers in general, I, I hear this like really strong, you know, the focus is on trying to find an individual Express yourself as an individual. I, I think that's, in addition to all the other really great things about jazz, I mean, swing feel and time feel and different types of time feel and harmonic, how the, how the, the language of, of jazz has cha- started and changed, like the, the, you know, whether it's complicated or something simple, or whether it's like a, you're playing a ballad or you're playing a, a very complicated bebop type line or, or freer, where you're, you know, there's just so there's so much to it. It's there's just so much depth there that it's, you know, endless interest and fascination. <laughs> and you're always you're always learning new stuff and finding out new things connected to the history or other things that can influence it and how it how it changes. <laughs> it's a rambling answer to a simple question. <laughs> no, no, there's a myriad. I I understand for sure. Let me ask you this: all the years that you played for people all the fans that you've played for, all those that have listened to your music, what's one of the nicest things that a fan has said to you about your music? Yeah, I mean, try to get past the usual, oh, man, that was so great. You know, <laughs> yeah. I think, or, or like, wow, I hear it. Sometimes it's funny when, you, when you're traveling around the world, different, different cultures sort of have a different way of expressing themselves to you. Like when you're in Europe, like if you go to Germany and you play in Germany, they're, they're, they'll come up to you and give you a real critique how they thought you performed that day. So you have some some very funny, funny comments sometimes. And it usually says more like critics too for me. It's it's like usually people are trying to express something of a how it's filtered through, of course, filtered through their lens of of their experiences and their interests. So sometimes that lines up with what you were actually thinking about. And sometimes it's really surprising what somebody will say. You're like, oh, and I didn't even think of that. And that's maybe not interesting or maybe it is really interesting. I hadn't thought of that connection before. It's tough for me to answer something like that. I, I think I think I try to I try to you know, uh, I'm interested in what people are of course what people are thinking about what they're hearing. Yeah, for me it's not it's that's not the that's not the focus of why I'm creating something too. I am interested in how it's affecting people, but I'm more interested a lot in the process of creating it and trying to get to that individual expressing myself as an individual and if I'm 
if I'm successful with that and somebody recognizes that, I think that's the most flattering type of compliment, I think. This is my final question. I want to get kind of the essence of things here, and I want to ask you. Everybody has a perception of you, your family, your friends, your business associates. But when you wake up and face the day, who do you think you are? <laughs> Hopefully myself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it changes over time, too. As I'm sure anybody who's lived more for a few years, you you know, the way you were thinking about things when you were in your 20s is really different than your 30s. And now starting my 40s, there's a lot that stays common, but then there are a lot of things that uh, that have evolved over time. I guess always I've just been, as I keep kind of saying, trying to get closer to what expressing the things that are most interesting to me in kind of a, a unique way or in an artistic way, hopefully, is how I try to approach each day. I mean, it, the, the reality of that is it's like really depends on what time of the year you hit me. Like if right now it's we're doing promo for the record and I'm trying to write music for the new record because um, we got a little tour. We got a, well, little. We have a 10 day tour coming up in November and I'm doing an artist in residency at, uh, out in Calgary. They have this amazing national music center that they just went and moved into a new building, new big building. And they, they have uh, like hundreds of vintage synthesizers and, harpsichords and pipe organs and amazing, it's this phenomenal instrument museum up there and they started this artist in residency program so I'm going up there to work with all the instruments for a couple of weeks and hopefully come with a bunch of, a bunch of new music and we're going to be passing through there in November as part of the tour with the band so I'm going to get in there and we're going to try to record a whole bunch of new music so if you ask me sometime between now and then who I think I am I'm wearing the composer hat and the organizing hat so that's who I am at this point. But if you hit me up in another period where I'm working as a sideman or I'm, I'm working on somebody else's project and I'm spending all my energy working on being ready for that music and ready for playing saxophone. So it, it'll, it'll depend on what time you kind of ask me during the year. <laughs> yeah, no, it's cool. I like that. That's a great answer. That is all I had. Thank you for taking some time out for me today and, and opening up your world. I appreciate it. That was my pleasure. Thanks. It were fun questions. Hopefully uh, something coherent in there. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Quinson for his time, his music, and his stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store or visit neonjazz.blogspot.com for all things Neon Jazz and even go to the YouTube channel we have set up at Neon Jazz. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Jazz.